Verse 4, he brought me to his banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. (laughs) Right? Okay. Now, what's a banqueting house? A banqueting house was a place where you drank a lot of wine. Okay. A banqueting house was like, it's not a bar per se, but it would have been a place where you gathered and you had a feast and there would be long tables and there would be lots of flowing wine. And she is saying, when I kiss his mouth, man, it is sweet. And man, every time we're together, it's like drinking wine. I am drunk with love for him. And his banner over me similarly is love. What do you mean by a banner? It's, it's like a flag. Uh, in, in Tex- I'm from Texas. Anybody else from Texas here? Yeah, God's home state. Shout out. Uh, right. Right. Texas, Texans are really proud of their state. They're also very proud of their flag. Am I, am I right, Darian? Am I right about that? Yeah. Uh, the Texas flag is one of the only flags in America where the state flag can fly at the same height as the American flag. Because in the 1800s, when Texas allowed America to join it, it was part of the agreement, right? And so Texans are really pl- proud of their flag. They wave it. They put it on things. They, you know, it's on shirts. It's on hats. It's on logos, right? And that's why we have that saying in Texas, don't mess with Texas, right? We're really proud. And so that flag is symbolic of what we stand for as Texans. And this is what Solomon is writing here. Uh, the, the, the woman is saying, his flag that he flies high over me is a flag of love. When we're together, it's like drinking wine and we are drunk with love. There's something really amorous going on here. Verse 5, sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. So she's had so much to drink of his love now, she's getting drunk with love. You guys can see where this is going. In verse 6, it gets really interesting. Now, uh, anybody like physical therapists, occupational therapists, anybody medical personnel, anybody understand physiology here? Anybody? Just show of hands if you understand this. Okay, right, medical personnel, y'all help me out here as we read this. I want to just kind of think about what's going on, right? Here it is, verse 6. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. Okay, how can his, his hand, let's double check, how can his left hand be under my head, okay? Is it she's levitating and he's like, I will hold you. Is this like a bodyguard moment where he's picking her up and whisking her off? How can the left hand be under the head and the right hand is embracing? Oh, that must mean they're horizontal because that's what's going on here. It has now moved from this to this, right? This is what's going on and The hands aren't together. It's not like a middle school dance where it's at the waist, right? It's not even a high school dance where it's at the small of the back where the dragon tattoo is. We're saying the left hand and the right hand are separate. One is holding the head. The other one is embracing. What's going on here? They are about to have sex. That's what's going on. And notice the progression. We notice something about one another. She is beautiful. She's a lily among valleys. And his Apples are sweet to my taste, and his banner over me is love, and we are drinking in the wine of our love. And it has now moved from what they've observed to now there's some physical stuff going on, and they are horizontal, and it is on like Donkey Kong. There is a bass line playing somewhere, doo-doo, doo-doo, right? And the lighting is perfect, and clothes are getting untucked, and some of this stuff is starting to happen. And then Solomon breaks in as the narrator, and he says something about this moment. In verse 7, here's what he says. I adjure you, I command you, I challenge you. I'm trying to get your attention. O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, 
that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Daughters and sons, do not stir up romantic, erotic love until it so pleases. Well, when does it so please? When you get married. I understand you can observe, and I understand things are getting physical, but do not have sex until you guys get married. So there's two big ideas here I want us to understand about the Christian view of sex. Again, we're thinking about sex being fire. How do we contain it? How do we restrict it? How do we channel it? And here's what overwhelmingly over and over again the Bible says. Solomon paints this picture. It's kind of two things uh, I just want to point out here. Number one, it is healthy to be aware of your sexual desires. It is completely healthy and okay and morally right for you to go, hey, I'm a human being who has sexual desires. At no point does Solomon go, don't call her the lily of the valley. Uh, He doesn't break in and go, hey, don't talk about his apples, young woman, right? Uh, When they're drunk with love for one another, he's like, hey, lower that flag. You know what happens when people raise flags. One thing leads to another, and then it doesn't look pretty, right? There's no kind of judgment about the observation of how people look. It is perfectly healthy and okay to be observant about how someone is and how the essence of who they are makes you feel. It's okay to be aware of your affections uh, and your sexuality. It's okay to, to be aware that it's rumbling inside of you. That's all perfectly okay. And I want to say this because you may be here someone uh, some, uh, here today, someone who grew up in maybe a more conservative, traditional household that was just like, nope, like, nope. You'd be like, you know, you remember being, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, and you're like, mommy and daddy, what's sex? And they're like, no, we don't talk about that. Like, mommy and daddy, you guys were in the room. Were y'all wrestling? No, we were reading books. Don't talk about that, right? And, and they just kind of shoot away any notion of, of sexuality. And listen, God bless your parents. It's really awkward to have that conversation uh, with your kids, right? But listen, the Bible says it's really okay to be aware of your sexuality. It's okay to struggle with the sexual urges. It's okay to just be horny all the time and to think about it and have no way to express it and just to be like, I'm going to sleep after I take a cold shower and I'm watching some minor league baseball and then I'm just going to sleep right now, right? However you have to manage it, it's okay. But the second thing is also true. It's healthy to be aware of your sexual desires, but it is not healthy to act on your sexual desires until you are in a marriage. Daughters, I charge you by the gazelles of the field, do not stir or awaken love until it so desires, until you guys are in a a married union. And there's some really good reasons for this. So let's talk about the second one using the chart on the screen here. So again, With our chart here, with our lens, I want to talk about the four kinds of people or the four kinds of positions you'll meet uh, or you'll, you'll interact with relative to sex. And I want you to think about them, again, in terms of channeling or in terms of restrictions. How do we contain this fire? Up in the top right quadrant here, we have... The, the position that tries to hold intention being morally obedient to Jesus' teaching while also considering the maximum long-term benefit on our lives. And this is the Christian position on sexuality. And here's what it is. It is only for procreation and for pleasure within marriage. Procreation, having kids, uh, pleasure, it's really, really fun. That's why we do it all the time, right? And both of those things are held together within marriage. That's the Christian view. Let me compare that very quickly with the other views here. And if you will just 
permit me, I'd like to give you a history of sexual ethics in England in the 1800s and 1900s. We okay with this? Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. If you weren't okay with this, I'm sorry. We're going to talk about sex in England. So here we go. So uh, right over here in the, in the quadrant on the top left, what we have is that which is considering the obedience, the moral obedience to Jesus, but not ever thinking about your long-term benefit. And this is, again, a, a more traditional view or a more conservative view of the way th uh, things work, that sex is only for procreation. Okay, so when you talk to your parents, you're like, tell me about sex because, you know, my body's making changes and there's hair growing in places it didn't used to be and there's all kinds of goosebumps that take, you know, come over me when I watch the boys like uh, and, uh, you know, in their track shorts or whatever, right, is going on in your, you know, middle school years or whatever, um, right? And then mom is just like, oh, uh, sex, uh, it's the birds and the bees, it's... Um, uh, this is how you produce children, and it's always explained very clinically in terms of how to have kids, right? So the conservative view typically tends to be sex is something you only do a few times in order to have kids, and once you have kids, you like, it, it doesn't exist. Like, you just don't even think about it, right? So like your grandparents, they had your parents, and then they were done, right? And they, they, have, they sleep in separate beds, in separate rooms, in separate houses. They never come close to one another. It's basically just a business partnership until they die, right? There's no sex. There's no fun. And in this view, uh, it's family without fun. It's family without fun. Now, this view gets popularized in England in the 1800s uh, during the reign of Queen Victoria. In fact, I think we have a picture of a Victorian-era mom with her child. Is that on the screen here? Yeah, y'all see this? Notice the clothing. Notice the modesty. I mean, there's no, like, boobs at all, right? If she has them, they're hidden in the, in the long layers of clothing. And it, the neckline is, like, right up here with more frill to cover up because, God forbid, we show our neck, right, at, at all. And you can't tell, but that dress is coming all the way down, and then it has a train on it because, God forbid, we show you our ankles, and, you know, the men are like, oh, my gosh, ankles, whoa, right? In Victorian England in the 1800s, sex was considered something that was profane. It was entirely of earth and of, of pagan, of uncultured, unsophistication. And so the only time you had sex was to procreate. And this created this really interesting problem in England in the 1800s, whereby, you're not going to believe this, the birth rate went down. <laughs> Okay? Because they were so concerned with moral propriety in society that they would, you know, when you talk about sex, you go, rup, rup, we don't talk about that, right? And so there, there actually had to be these public service campaigns. You guys are not going to believe this. Where the queen would have to tell people, listen, I know sex is terrible. It's the worst thing God invented. But we need babies so we can have a population. Because uh, we have all this infrastructure and it's really expensive. Some people need to go to work. So they would use this phrase. Listen, I know you've got to do your marital duty. Just smile, grit your teeth, and think of the queen. <laughs> yeah, okay, I think, you, I think that translates across all cultures, right? So this is what people, they were, they were, I'm telling you, there were ads in magazines, and it was aimed at women. Hey, women, I know sex is profane, and all those terrible men are out there, but just smile, grit your teeth, and think of the queen, right? And so all these women, this whole generation of women was like, okay, I have to have sex right now. 
uh, okay, let's get drunk, um, and then let's just, right? That was how they viewed it. And so once you were done with that, then you just raised your kids. And look, the kids are also in like, they're basically wearing like a, a, a Snuggie, right? Uh, all their lives, everything was about modesty and about modesty. If you guys ever watched the, um, the like steampunk reimagination of Sherlock Holmes, that's in the Victorian era, the very tail end of the Victorian era. And you notice all the clothing, everybody is completely covered. Guys are wearing hats because, my gosh, if we show skin, that's scandalous. And what happened in England in the 1800s and its effects over in America as America followed England's moral tradition is that you had these big families, but family was not fun. And so this idea of you have sex just to have kids and you don't talk about it and family, you have it, but it's not fun. This was kind of the way that people thought about life. And you can imagine the 1800s were not a lot of fun. And the early 1900s were not a lot of fun. And so when all those babies grew up, they were like, screw this. Prohibition sucks. Moonshine is what we want. Let's get drunk. And they created the Roaring Twenties, right? And everybody was just drunk all the time. Why? Because... They were rebelling against this very strict, rigid conservatism of the 1800s. And then after this thing called World War II, you guys remember this, where everybody came back and they were shell-shocked, people again were like, man, we need to repopulate the earth, and these are the baby boomers, and the baby boomers are getting born right after World War II. And in England in particular, there was this huge social rebellion against these Victorian values, and they actually moved into the lower right-hand quadrant in the way they thought. They said, hey, listen, if just considering morality is going to produce families without fun, then we're going to swing all the way to the other side. We're just going to think about what benefits us and just forget morality. We're not going to consider that. And so for, for a lot of people in the 60s, what you had was the only for pleasure crowd. Sex, the best way to channel it is only for ple- pleasure. Let's not think about kids. This is when you start to see the rise of things like abortion and thinking about abortion in terms of sexual ethics because I want to be able to have as much sex as I can and I don't want any consequences, i.e. kids. And so let's just have this sexual revolution that takes place. And you guys have probably seen popular culture where the sexual revolution was taking place. Let's look at some photos here. Uh, I think we have three photos. We'll show you just, okay. So this is Austin Powers. Anyone seen this movie? Okay, cool. I'm old. Y'all are like, Austin Powers? I've never seen that, right? So this is a spoof comedy in the late 90s, early 2000s where Austin Powers is this kind of sexual spy and he's making fun of all the Bond films and he's just overtly sexual all the time because that's what the 60s were like both in England and in America because sex is only for pleasure. It's so much fun. Let's just have sex all the time. We'll show the, the next photo here. Okay, so this is the James Bond. Anybody seen any of the Bond films? James Bond has sex with like 20 women in every film. And the women are just like, cool, let's have sex. I know about you, James. You have sex with women. It's not going to be me. Five seconds later, they're having sex, right? And it's like none of those girls have ever seen any previous Bond film, right? Like this is the, the, the um, template for a Bond woman. It's like James is going to have sex with me, and then I'm going to be killed by the villain. Like every girl I just want to, in the movies, I just want to be like, Young lady, oh my gosh, there's so much better for you. Number one, don't have sex with him because you're going to die. Number two, just don't have sex with him because he's been with everybody, right? But these are the Bond films, right? James Bond just has sex for pleasure. It doesn't mean anything, and he just kind of moves along there. This is James Bond. What's the next photo here? Oh, uh, that's right. Mick Jagger, our boy, the lead singer of the Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger, his stated goal was to try to have sex with whomever, whenever, as much as he could, uh, Again, sex is only for pleasure. He was trying to have 
you know, sex and drugs and rock and roll and that whole thing in the 60s. And Mick Jagger wrote this song as a prophet of our times called Satisfaction. And here's how it goes. I can't get no satisfaction. But I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no, right? You guys have heard this song before? Gosh, y'all are so young. I am just, hold on for a second here. I just need to sit down. Oh my gosh. Okay, here we go. Google this later uh, with safe mode on. Um, Anyway, this is the song. I can't get no satisfaction, but I try. And although I try and I keep trying to have all the satisfaction, I'm being honest with you. I can't get satisfaction. Here's the thing about sex being channeled only for pleasure without consideration of procreation. You will have as much pleasure as you can and not be satisfied. And some of you are in the room, and you've been, you know, rather sexually active up to this point, and you probably would admit part of the reason that you are refraining from sex right now is because when you chased after sex as pleasure only, without consideration of its moral um, uh, relevance, it led to a life that was pleasurable but not satisfying. It's like eating a whole bag of chocolate chip cookies over and over and over again. You're like, one bag's not enough, two, three, four. It's the law of diminishing marginal utility. Each additional consumption of a unit of pleasure leads to less and less and less satisfaction until we cross under equilibrium. And now each additional consumption of that unit produces vomiting in me because it is so unsatisfying. And that is what the lower quadrant gets to. Now, I'll just mention the last quadrant here. The people who are hopeless, who don't consider uh, the merit of sex and who also don't consider the moral Uh, nature of sex. These are people who live with no restrictions. It's the wildfire. And some of you have been here today where you've lived with sex without restrictions. I don't care. I don't think about it. I don't think about when I do it or whatever. And anytime someone's in that place, they are doing so from a place of hopelessness. You guys may have heard of people who struggle with a mental health condition called nymphomania. Nymphomaniacs are people who struggle with hopelessness and they try to have sex with whoever they can as much as they can to help fill what is broken inside of them. And so, again, it may sound really good on the surface. It's like, cool, I can just have sex with everybody. But really a life of having sex with anybody with no restrictions, that's a place of hopelessness. Having sex only for pleasure, that leads to no satisfaction. Not having sex unless you're only having kids, that leads to family without fun. And so, why is it that Solomon says we should hold sex off just for marriage, both for procreation and for pleasure? Because in marriage, we find the maximization of our fun in our family while also maximizing our satisfaction and our pleasure. The Christian definition of, merit, or of sex here, the Christian position on this, is that in Christian marriage, we find the healthiest team for child raising and the healthiest partner for sexual pleasure. When you have sex in marriage, and I've been married 16, almost 17 years, which means I've been having sex for 16, almost 17 years, so I'm an expert. No, uh, no. but as someone who's been sexually active for 16 years with my wife, let me just tell you, um, it's a safe experience. I am never worried that afterwards she's going to get on Instagram and be like, I just had sex with this guy and he was weird, right? Or just like post stuff or start gossip or I never am worried that it might be a potentially dangerous situation because I can't trust that person. I'm never worried about the communication aspects of sex and how that works because in marriage we have looked at each other and we've said, 
I do, I do, and this is for life. And so if sex is kind of weird, that's okay because it's between us and no one else is going to know about it. And if sex is really great, that's between us and no one's going to know about it. She is an incredibly safe person to be with sexually. And you only get that in some kind of committed relationship. That's why they're the best partner for exploring the pleasure and the fun out there. And it's why that sexual pleasure is satisfying. But on the other end, if we were to have kids, and we have, because we're husband and wife, mom and dad, we are providing our children with the best team for child rearing. Children need moms and dads. They just do. Sociological data tells us this. Lots of uh, reports and interviews tell us this. And in marriage, if you're having sex for pleasure and you get pregnant, then you have the infrastructure and the team to be able to handle raising the kids in an optimum environment. So in short, the reason we take all this fire and we restrict it for marriage is because in marriage we have the best team to raise kids and the best partner for exploring our sexuality. In other words, we maximize our satisfaction and our fun. So if that's the vision, if that's the Christian vision for sexuality, it's good to understand and be aware of your sexuality, but wait until you're married to act on that then what do we do if we're here today and maybe we're not in that top right quadrant? What if we're coming from hopelessness or what if we're coming from sex as pleasure only or sex as procreation? How can we take some healthy steps to moving towards a, a spirit-led balance in sexuality? And I want to give you three tools uh, for thinking through this depending on where you're coming from. And I'll tell you, try to tell you a story with each one of these. Here's the three tools to help channel your sexual desires. Number one, beauty. Beauty is a great tool. Beauty helps us to grow in our awareness of our attraction. If you're someone who was raised in an environment where sex is bad unless you're having kids and then it becomes bad again, one of the concerns that I have, and I think one of the concerns Scripture would have towards that view, is that by thinking about sex only for procreation, you are missing out on all of the stuff in Scripture about the beauty of attraction in the important place that attraction plays in the sexual life of a human being in marriage. Okay? It is perfectly okay for you to be aware of your attraction to other people and your emotions. And one of the ways that you can kind of turn that on is by thinking about beauty. So let me tell you the story. Um, many years ago, uh, uh, one of my pastor friends was doing premarital counseling for this couple. And uh, the woman was just kind of like, man, I'm really nervous about the wedding night. Uh, and he was like, well, why are you nervous? She's like, well, I grew up in this family. Mom said sex is only for procreation. And it's really bad. And for, you know, 18, 19, 20 years, I've just heard over and over again, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. And now I'm going to say I do. And the, the flip is going to switch. And now sex is good. And I haven't enough, had enough time to emotionally prepare for having sex. And so sure enough, this couple got married and went on the honeymoon. And they came back from the honeymoon. And... Um, they reported back to the pastor because they felt obligated to do. Let me just tell you, being a pastor and marrying people can be very interesting because people come back from the honeymoon and they're like, hey, we had sex this many times and the, we had it this ways and here's my journal where I journaled this. And I'm like, I don't need to know that. Like, I, look, I married you. You guys are on your own. Like, I love you, but whatever, right? Before Jesus, talk to Jesus about that, right? But it's okay. I love you guys. If you need to talk to me about that, that's okay too. Anyway, um, so they came back and they talked to my pastor friend and he was like, well, how was it? I know you guys were kind of struggling. And the guy was like, it was terrible. And she was like, yeah, I just couldn't flip the switch. Like I just couldn't have sex. And in the first year to two to three of their marriage, it was really, really tough for them to have sex. The thing that helped her 
emotionally become more aware and become um, uh, healthier in her approach to sexuality in her marriage and pursuing pleasure was beauty. Looking at art, listening to music, uh, watching beautiful film, going outside and sitting in a hammock and looking at nature, looking at a sunset. And it's amazing. God gave us beauty to arouse our affections. And we can apply those affections to humans. We can apply those affections back to him. But uh, nonetheless, it stirs our affections. The, the beautiful thing about God, the amazing thing about God, is he not only created us as human beings uh, in a world where there was beauty, but he created us as human beings to have a receptor to appreciate beauty. And there's something supernatural that happens when we see something beautiful and we can behold it and understand that it's beautiful. It awakens something in us, an awareness of a a more fullness of who we are as human beings. And so if you're someone who's maybe coming from that world, can I just encourage you? I'm not saying go get married tomorrow, but if marriage is a goal of yours and you would like to move towards uh, expressing sexuality in marriage one day in theory, I would like to encourage you to start considering the role of beauty in your life. What music do you need to listen to so that it uh, stirs your emotions? Uh, what uh, nature do you need to be in uh, to observe a beautiful sunset to, or, or whatever to stir your affections and your emotions? And I will just go ahead and preview this. If you start dating, it is incredibly healthy and okay for you to start noticing the attractiveness of your dating partner, the friend you're trying to date. Okay? So, guys, girls, let me just say this. It's really okay If you're on a date and you look across and the guy has blue eyes, for you and your brain to go, those blue eyes are beautiful. Those are beautiful blue eyes. It's okay to think that. And eventually, if you guys have a safe enough friendship and you're dating, it's okay for you to say that. Listen, I hope this doesn't come off as too creepy, but you have the sweetest blue eyes I've ever seen. It's like looking into a deep blue ocean, right? It's really okay for you to say that. Why? Because number one, it's okay to be aware of your attraction to that person. It's equally okay within a safe enough environment to express that back to the person. You're not doing anything wrong. And guys, it's really okay if it's safe and if you guys are far enough along. Don't do this on the first date where you're like, hey, would you like to go to coffee? And by the way, your hair is the most beautiful hair I've ever seen. That's maybe a little bit creepy, but we love you. Okay, it's okay. Uh, you got to figure that out. But it's really okay for you to observe the form of that person. It's, so, it's really okay for you to notice her hair and her eyes. It's also okay for you to close your eyes and notice the beauty of her personality and for that to stir your affections towards her more. That is normal. This is what happens in verses 2 and three and four and five and six just don't move horizontal until you get married right okay number two the second tool maybe that might be helpful for some of us who are hopeless is the tool of counsel counsel helps us to grow in our vision of healthy living And maybe you might think about this as counseling. It may start as a one-on-one with one of our staff or one of our leaders here, maybe your life group leader. Uh, But it may eventually move towards professional counseling because the strongest people in our fellowship go to counseling so that we can know where we're weak and we can uh, find healing in that in Jesus' name. And so maybe going to counseling is going to help you catch a vision and better um, see a vision for what a sexuality may be. You might be someone who's here today and you've got a lot of sexual brokenness in your past. Let me just encourage you, the best way for you to find healing is to get a new vision. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds in Romans 12. Be transformed by the renewing of the way that you view things. Without vision, people are hopeless. And so get a new vision. And to get a new vision, you may need some counsel. And so if 
you're someone who's here today, or you're watching later on YouTube, and you would like to see some counsel or get some counsel on this, we would love to set you up with a one-on-one with one of our staff or one of our trusted life group leaders, or uh, you can DM us or you can uh, uh, communicate with us. We'd love to help you get connected to a counseling center that can help you catch a vision for a healthy sexuality. Counsel helps us to catch a new vision. The third thing is this, safe friends. Safe friends help us to grow in encouragement and mitigate against shame. You guys know this. Y'all are going to be dating. You're going to be kind of aware of your sexuality. You're going to kind of notice boys and you're going to notice girls. And there are going to be those moments where you're like, oh, my goodness, I think I'm lusting after him. Okay, need to like, oh, right. And you're going to need a group of safe friends who, when it comes to prayer time, your life group leader says, hey, is there anything we can pray about? And you're like, okay, I'm aware of this very attractive boy over here. And I think I want to have sex with him, but I know I shouldn't. And I feel really guilty because I want to have sex with this boy. And so I just, I need some prayer. You need a group of people that look at you and go, yeah, we get it, right? You have a sexual being and there are a lot of really handsome boys in our ministry and around Orlando. And we all want to have sex with them. We get it, right? Uh, But we're not going to because that's not healthy for us. But that's a really good thing that you want to have sex. And so let's just pray for one another in a safe, judgment-free zone. I don't want you to walk away from this life group under any shame or guilt that you're a sexual being. I want you to feel empowered and embraced and loved by God. Just knowing you've got to contain that fire and channel it the right way. Having a group of people around us to go, hey, guys, listen, I know you wanted to look at porn this week. Guys, I know you were thinking about masturbation this week. Guys, I know that sexuality, you're just really horny. It's an all-time high. But listen, that's all okay, guys. But we're going to pray for one another that God would, would, would discipline us and, and help us to stay focused and channel that in the right way. And guys, let's not walk out of here in shame and in guilt because we are sexual beings because God has wired us to be that way. Let's just all link arms and covenant together, resolved to channel it in the way that heats us up so it doesn't burn us down. Everybody needs a group of safe, trusted friends where that can help them. And around here, we have things called life groups. And in fact, we've had these uh, open groups we started this year. We've had over 70 people join these open groups. A bunch of y'all are here today. But if you're here today and you're not part of a life group and you go, man, that sounds great, especially as I'm struggling with a sexual thing, I might want to recommend to you either one of our guys' groups or one of our girls' groups. Again, if you're a girl, it's the girls' groups. If you're a guy, it's the guys' groups. This isn't a thing where guys show up and are like, oh, is this a girl's Zoom call? Huh? Well, since I'm here, right, it's not one of those things, guys. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a place to find some safe friends who can encourage you and guard against the guilt and shame we all experience. And if you'd like information on that, you can text TABLE to 40777 or you can head out to the Connection Lounge afterwards and we'd love to get you connected this week with a life group that'll welcome you in, love you, hear about your story and provide a safe group for friends and for discussion on sexuality. Wow, it's been a long day. Can I just pray for us and then can we sing a song together? Would that be okay? Okay, let me pray for us.